Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest, and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. Today, we're going to talk about what to invest in and when. So in the earlier episodes, we've covered why you should consider managing your own money. And we've also covered, um, well, what did we cover last time? Market cycles. (laughs) Market cycles and why you can actually do better than a buy and hold approach through managing your capital through the cycle. So um, today, um, we're going to talk a little bit about what you might look to invest in. So I think as we touched on in episode two, one of the really big things that's changed since I started 20 years ago, whenever it was, is that these days you don't have to be a stock picker. I think um, back then it was very much a question of uh, you find out the broker, you pick your favorite company. Uh, These days, um, there's been a remarkable change in the the suite of products available. You don't have to own any individual Aussie share, for example. You can just own the top 300 by market cap and liquidity. It's low cost. It's very easy. Pretty easy. And of course, that's much lower risk. So Firstly, let's start with stock picking uh, because intuitively, especially... Because <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> yeah, well, especially as uh, sort of blokes, it, it's in our nature, I think, to to enjoy the process of being a stock picker. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it feeds our egos. Um, but I guess we, we would all have stories and experiences of where that didn't go well because of the... <laughs> yeah, and, and now we've got the statistical research to back it up. And that's that if you look at the capitalist distribution, yep. uh, perhaps... You know, if you if you're looking at the real outperformers, maybe one in every five stocks. Every five, yeah. Yeah, it might be the one that does really well and beats the market, but for every one, there might be two of every five that yep. just never come back. Essentially, yeah. Um, so, um, you can keep buying those stocks and buying them and buying them, but there's always that nagging doubt. I think, particularly if you're a value-oriented investor that you've picked a, a company where there's a fraud or it's a dying industry or... Yep. Um, substitution. Yeah, yeah. yeah or oh, that's it. Or they just simply lose their competitive edge. Yep. So let's start with that. I mean, give us a personal example yeah. where you thought there's a... <laughs> Which one do you want me to choose? Yeah, because we've all <laughs> The had, really bad losers or the bad loser or the minor loser? Yeah, well, you can imagine, because I worked in the mining industry, like like a lot of people... Plenty of those there. Yeah, I was in financial <laughs> services through the loads of money era. Yep. I was during the mining boom, worked in the resources industry, later in yeah. real estate. So I kind of follow these. Buying <laughs> this, the picks and shovels. Yeah, that's it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there's an awful lot of uh, penny stocks at the time where you yep. know, you'd come in to work and, oh, did you have that one? Did you have that one? And, you know, one day they would double and then the next day yep. they would halve. And of course, when, when the music stops, you find that a lot of those companies have no sustainable business or cash flows. Yeah. And they're pretty you, speculative. You can average down into them, but yeah. if it goes to zero, then you've, you've lost. averaged down like a big loser. <laughs> yeah, that's if you, it. A couple of things. What Pete's talking about there is there's an article, you can probably just Google it, called The Capitalist Distribution. And what it shows you is it shows you the, the returns in deciles of companies in the stock market. What you see is 
this tiny little slither of companies are responsible for most of the returns. And so what that says is if you want to pick stocks, you're going to have to be a seriously good stock picker to beat the market. And the second point was there's a really good article done by Stanford Brown, if I remember correctly. Apologies if it's wrong to Stanford Brown. Um, Ashley Owen did an Australian version of it. And what it shows is 25% of companies actually make money and pay dividends. The rest of them either make money but don't pay a dividend. And as because we're a mining-based economy, you've got a whole raft of companies that just do your money, right? And so that's the reason why a fair while ago, as Pete sort of saying, out of painful personal experience, I, I developed the risk hierarchy, which was saying, look, if I average down in a mining stock or, you know, whatever it may be, you may benefit from dollar cost averaging downwards, but you may also lose your money. Okay, so if the first rule of investing is don't lose money, how do I not lose money? Okay, well, I can say to you, I'll tell you what, Pete, I'll give you 2% if you give me your cash. Now you can say, yeah, okay, was hoping for a little bit more. Okay, I'll give you three and a half in bonds. Mm, okay, was even hoping for a bit more. Okay, then you can invest in the whole index, right? And as I said in the previous episodes, if it doesn't go to zero, what you can say is, well, when it's expensive, I'll take my money off. And when it's cheap, I'll put my money in. These days now, which wasn't a luxury when I first started, was you can buy ETFs. So you can buy the uh, Brazilian ETF, which is a reflection of their index. You can buy a sector, right? You can buy the energy sector. So instead of saying, well, oh, geez, I've got to choose between BP and Shell and uh, Luke Oil and, oh, what's that one over there? What you do is you say, well, look, I'll just buy the whole energy sector. Now, within that, I don't care if, you know, 20 or 30 producers or, you know, exploration and production companies go broke. They will drop it a little bit, but you still get a stable dividend. Then when the energy sector bottoms and starts to pick up, you start to make money again, right? And so, Instead of saying, well, prime example, I said last time, Woodside Petroleum, you know, no offence to them, but it was at 65 bucks or something, you know, and the last time I looked, it was about 35 and it's probably less now. That can be a permanent sort of loss of capital, mm. you know, and to avoid that, you're e it's easier to say, well, I'll just buy the resources sector ETF and again, I'll just rebalance. Yeah, so interesting uh, because as a chartered accountant, when I left professional practice where I used to audit uh, listed company financials. Then it was on the other side of the fence. I had to prepare listed company financials. So, you know, naturally, I felt if I had any point of difference, you know, I was an expert in international financials um, reporting standards when Australia went across to AIFRS. You know, nobody would have known any more than I did about putting together Australian listed financials. What do all the numbers mean? The yep. disclosures, the notes, the cash flow statement, and so on. So I thought, well, intuitively, you know, if I just study you know, study annual reports till the ink falls off the page, surely I will do You'll as be a wiser stock picker. For it. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. I must do better than the yeah, average. Yeah. Now, what people don't appreciate is there's a lot more to picking stocks than just looking at current year results. Absolutely. Because financial statements are historic and you can study those. But yeah. if you don't predict the future for the industry, yep. the competitive uh, advantage that the yep. business has, how many variables? The changing landscape. Well, like what, a thousand? Yeah. And Economic this is, growth. 
labor rate, purchasing manager index rate, uh, tax rates, you know, yeah, yeah. but I'm going to put that all in a model and go, yeah. presto, there's intrinsic value. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they've all changed. Oh, okay, well, now I'll just have to do it yeah. all over again. And uh, Australia being a resources heavy index, you know, yep. that, yeah, well, I, I'll assume a copper price of 450. Well, this yeah. is, sorry, it's 150, and that's kind of changed your your, <laughs> uh, your outputs there. So well, Not uh, worth as much. Yeah, so I think um, I learned from that that sometimes doing more and more and more work on a company or an investment actually doesn't add yeah. any value at all. Well, so you get... You get confirmation bias and sunk cost bias, which is basically, first of all, you go, oh, well, now I'm going to go and get the evidence to show that I'm a genius and I'm right. And then secondly, what you do is you say, oh, well, geez, you know, I've spent all these hours investing in the company. It's much easier just to go, if you've got a systematic approach, which we talk about in the book, which says that, you know, like Buffett talks about four filters. It's simply saying, here's my criteria. Does it fit? No. Okay. Don't worry about it. Right? It's not as if you're going to go, oh, and that was the last investment I ever got to make. It's like they come along every day of the week. Yeah, so we know? have this phrase, it's not that hard, honestly. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there is a lot to be said for simplicity. So Absolutely. exactly as Stephen was talking about there, I can remember when I started out as a value investor, stock picker, you know, and I, I would buy some shares first and then I would go and do all the research to confirm my decision. Yep. You know, it's a classic thing. Or... As you mentioned, you could spend hours reading an annual report because yep. you've already decided that you like the company <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're just looking you're for... just justifying your time. To make yourself feel good as yep, well. Yep. Like, oh, well, this is a great story. And of course, you know, if you think back to, not to pick on any companies, but you think back to the glossy brochure floats like uh, Maya, you know, yeah, yeah. floating at 20 plus times earnings or whatever it was. Yep. And, uh, you know, the brochure is not going to give you any of the, the downsides. Looks good. It's, a, it's an advertisement <laughs> yeah. to, to a certain extent. You could spend a lot of time reading the numbers, but if you pay too much for the investment and it's in a, a sector which is struggling with the, the rise of Amazon and online yeah, retail, yeah. all the study in the world isn't going to help you. Now, yeah. you, you, know, you might value it accurately, which is fine. For, for day one. Yeah. For day one, yeah. yeah. And then the signal and noise stuff is really important. And it's most people, if you think about it, a lot of stuff is 80-20, right? You get 80% of the result from 20% of the inputs or the variables, right? And you, you have a think about this. This is a, recently there was a book written by, about James Simons, Jim Simons, right? The world's best investor, 35% returns for 30 years, right? And he's a quant investor, right? All the staff are physicists or mathematicians. They know nothing about stock markets or very little, and they know nothing about individual companies, right? Now they hold trades for you know, seconds at a time. And I understand all that. But what I'm saying is the main, my main point is saying those guys have gotten rich without knowing what the hell BHP is or what um, Afterpay is or what Shell is. So what I'm saying is you can sometimes get a bit too far down the rabbit hole by thinking, well, if I can just figure out the iron ore price and how much BHP is going to dig it out of the ground for are there going to be any acts of God, you know, blah, blah. A lot of it is, as we talk about, you look at the CAPE. Is the CAPE ratio cheap for a country? Yep. Okay, we'll probably buy some. Uh, now, it yeah. doesn't mean, you know, back up the truck, but it means if it's cheap, you've probably got a good chance of returns. Mm. And that's what the evidence shows. Yeah. You know, well, we demonstrate that in the book. Yeah, so a good case in point, iron ore, miners like Fortescue, you know, down at a dollar eighty or whatever yeah, yeah. it was, and people thought it's... it's drowning in debt is going to go under. Iron ore price goes through the roof. 
and 40 SKU goes to $12 or whatever it is. It just goes to show that the range of variables is is far beyond what any one individual can predict. Yeah. Far beyond. So, you can't be an expert at everything because you're talking about predicting. Well, you know, you might have a little bit of insight. And what we're saying is you only need a little bit of insight, which is, is it cheap or is it expensive? So we're not saying that you can't pick individual companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, but thinking about the risk hierarchy... You know, obviously, the companies are the biggest risk. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. and if you're looking at the lowest level of risk, it might be like a global or world yeah, ETF. Yeah. Then yep. maybe a country. Then maybe a sector. Yep. And then you go all the way up to the speculative yeah, companies yeah. at the top. So, if you're looking at investing in a um, particular country or sector, now obviously you're looking to buy stuff when it's cheaper than average. So yep. you mentioned uh, this is not a recommendation because it depends when you're tuning in. But yep. for example, as we're speaking today, energy. Of the past six years, it's been one of the most hated Awful. sectors because... One good year, 2016. So five of six years, it's been a, yep. a, one of the bottom performers yep. for a number of reasons. There's the movement to ESG investing, the commodity prices yep. have moved against... Have a look at the, the previous sector. six years. Yeah, that's right. It's Did expected. really well. So what happens? Nyonk. Yeah, you and know. so at the, t- at the time of speaking, the oil price has gone to $30 from 70 a couple of yep. months ago. A couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, so... It, and <laughs> Lots it, of times, probably about 15. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the, the efficient market hypothesis that we talk about, I mean, <laughs> you know, these these things, they go in cycles. It's being very efficient at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so uh, you might look to buy an ETF that owns a whole sector. It's yep. much less risky than trying to pick the, the best company within the sector, yeah, yeah. whatever it may be. So in terms of countries, uh, again, you can do you can apply similar principles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same now, thing. Let's just try and tie it together in terms of some kind of overall strategy. So what we were saying in episode two yep. is when the CAPE ratio, particularly the CAPE ratio for the US, is high. Uh, now, bearing in mind the US is about half of the global market cap. Yep. And I think um, there used to be this thing when I was growing up that um, both the US sneezes, the rest of the world catches, catches a cold. cold. Although, look, these days it might be for Australia, China as well. Yep. And, you know, we may have thought that stock markets moved to their own drum or whatever, but, you know, 2007, yeah. 8, 9 showed... <laughs> They're if, all correlated. Yeah. If They're the, all correlated. If the, if the US goes to shit, then everything correlates <laughs> yeah. to one. You know, Everyone follows. Yeah, so... Well, that's what happened in 08. So this is why following the US Cape ratio is key. Really uh, important. So when the US is expensive, yep. you might still want some exposure to stocks, but, yeah, you, yeah. Might, but you might look at out-of-favour sectors yep. and out-of-favour countries. Yep. And obviously, it's a hard thing to do when a country's stock market index is down 50 to 80% to yeah. say, well, it's going to hell in a handbasket, but I'm going to buy yeah. it when everybody else has got out. When markets are down 80%, your three-year nominal returns will be 50 or 60. Yeah, annually. Forward. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, that's what happens. That's why people say, and this is a thing, people say, oh, well, you know, you can't, you can't pick it over 10 years. You can't pick who the winner is, right, in sectors. Let's say sectors. Oh, you can't pick who the winner is. I don't want to pick the winner. I just want to pick something that's cheap, and then when it goes up, I'll sell it, and I'll go and pick the old, you know, the next one that's hated. Yeah. And again, that's what Ben Graham did. You know, Ben Graham said, go and pick 30 cheap companies because he didn't have ETFs, and he said, you know, pick them. When they make 50%, sell them and go and pick another cheap one, mm. right? And then when that makes money, sell it, and go and pick another one. Now, if one loses out of the 30, you pick 30 horrible, vomit-worthy companies, 15 will be okay. Five will probably go bankrupt and 10 will really outperform and that raises your whole portfolio. 
So instead of saying, oh, show me the one that's the best bet, you take a portfolio approach and say, well, look, I'll buy five cheap ETFs in, the say, the lowest five countries, and one may stay low. But if you asset allocate properly, you can deal with that. Two of them might have spectacular returns. You know, Greece, Turkey, Brazil, you know, if you buy them at the right time, you make really solid returns. That's really what it's about. It takes a bit of gumption to buy them at the bottom. Yeah, for sure. So I think this is where you talk about statistics over stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We mentioned Alan Kohler in episode two. I spoke to Alan, did his podcast last year when the Turkish currency crisis was on. And Alan said, look, I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to delay the podcast because the Turkish lira has collapsed and we have to do a piece for ABC News. Can we do the podcast tomorrow? I said, look, sure, no problem. Yep. And he had six hours to go away and find out what the heck was going on and present on ABC News. Now, Turkish stock market obviously imploded at that point in time. And the headlines were all about currency crisis, currency yep. collapse, and the ETF plummeted. And of course, the ETF went to $18. To, to be able to buy when... If the, you'd have bought then. Yeah, well, that's right. I, I think it was at 26 very quickly after that. So yes. you do have to adopt that approach. You need to be able to say, well, I'm going to hold my nose, focus on the statistics, yep. the market's cheap, ignore the stories, which is yep. essentially what the media headlines. and They do that every year. You know, like... Yeah, there was every Russia year there's and countries that are out of favour. Well, of course they're not going to say, you know, great things about them. Mm. But that's why I say, you know, if it's sort of like the old contrarian style... If you don't put the whole house on it and if you go, all right, I've got 100,000, I've got a plan, 20 ETFs, right, 5,000 each, and within that 5,000, I'm going to put 2,000 in to start with, and if it falls further, I'll put a bit more in. Yeah. Now, that's obviously much easier to do into an ETF than it is. Absolutely, yeah. With an individual company, my experience is even the big systemic companies that have been around for 100 years, there's always that nagging doubt that maybe you've just yep. picked a dud and you'll yeah. be averaging down and even down. The, even the big ones, you look at the Dow Jones in the US, those companies can move 20 to 40% a year, you know, within a year. And you look at that and it's easy to go, oh, well, I would have bought it when it's 40% down. But it, it's pretty tough because like uh, GE recently was one that was sort of like, you know, fell a lot. And it's tough to sort of go, mm. my argument is, okay, if you want to have a little flutter on GE so you can tell your friends, off you go, it's much easier and less risk to buy the Brazilian ETF and manage it over the next five years. Yeah. Right? That's a lot easier because Brazil, for all intents and purposes, won't go broke. Right? Now, there are people who say, oh, yeah, but, you know, currency, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but these things, if you have a look at the history of them, you couldn't get any worse than Greece, could you? <laughs> right? No. And in 2000, and I think it was 10 or 11, Greece ETF was up 90% in US dollars. But you know what I mean? It's a bit like that struggled for years. Mm. But you can still do it and make money yeah, so by Gre- buying out of favour stuff. So Greece, uh, another recent example, absolutely imploded. We had the Eurozone crisis. And um, a couple of years ago, it got absolutely smashed. You could drip feed into a position. Yeah, yeah. Top performers in 2019, Greece 50%. Yep. And I remember, and this is why it's about focusing on the statistics, buy stuff when it's cheap, you get the nominal returns that Faber talks about, 50% in a year. The media, Bloomberg ran a piece on why has Greece recovered and you went through the article. They, 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 well, there was no reason. I mean, unemployment. <laughs> That's what I mean. Everybody decided it was cheap. <laughs> well, unemployment was 
18 percent you know it's yeah. not like the economy is booming it's yeah, yeah. just basically people suddenly realize like they did with pakistan yeah, it's not really and happy others, days in the economy you know pakistan when the dividend was you know double digits and yeah. people suddenly get to the point where well you know it's worth a little bit yeah that's it and then the tide turns so, yeah so and they rebalance two peak fund managers are, if you're an emerging markets manager you've got a certain amount of companies where well, you just rebalance and that that alone will probably support it or push it up or down or, you know, depending on what the allocation is. Yeah, so I know that uh, you mentioned some of the criticisms that people have about currencies and so on. But I think uh, it's important to stress what we're talking about is an overall strategy for managing your money. Now, we've been saying for all the way through 2019, the CAPE ratio in the US was insanely high, never been sustained at 33 plus as it was uh, trading only in the late months of 2019. So what we're saying is you have a portion of your money in cheap markets, yep. but you want a lot of cash because what you really want is when the US comes down, it brings down other developed markets with it. Yep. And then when everybody else is getting out, that's your opportunity. Yeah. So we're not saying take 100% of your money and throw it into Wacking an emerging in market. Piece. Yeah, that's it. It's more about having, this is what we'll talk about in episode four, asset allocation and diversification because... The Kelly criterion or the Kelly model, which is essentially what the strategy that we use. Yeah. When the odds are in your favour, you bet more. A little bit more. When the odds are stacked against you, take money off. Yeah. What the Kelly model really requires is is being around through the cycles. It's not about making the best returns in one year. You're not or gonna two win years. every hand. It's about managing your exposure in such a way that you're always around for the next bet. You know, it's yep. no use putting a hundred percent of your money or even know, 50% of your money into an investment yeah. if it turns out to be a dud. The best example of that is really simple. Russian roulette. Let's play a game of Russian roulette, right? You've got the six shooter. You've got one bullet in the chamber, okay? Now, probabilistically, you've got an 83% chance of winning, which is great odds, right? One in six. You've obviously played this before, so yeah, right? <laughs> or, or you're better at doing that. <laughs> it might have been yet. a drinking game. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but you've got an 83% chance of winning, right? Now... If I'd said to you, it's a million bucks, right, to go play. Let's play for a million bucks. The problem is not the 83% chance of winning, yeah. right? The problem is the result of the losing is you're dead, right? And it's exactly the same in investing. You can get a really great opportunity and still lose money through no fault of your own. What you do is you say, but the odds of me winning are higher, therefore I'll put a little bit more. Hmm into it, right? And as you said, we'll talk about in the next episode, because most people go, oh, I put in 10,000 and it sank to 8,000, stupid stock market. And it's like, well, why did you put all of your money into it? Why didn't you put five? A lot of it is because I heard it from a friend or, you know, but also saying, well, you get greedy rather than saying, well, what's your system to invest in? I don't have one. Sorry. That's going to be your problem right there. Because what you'll do is you'll tend to invest emotionally rather than systematically. Mm. You know, oh, this looks like a great bet, and you jump in, and it's not a great bet. Yeah, and as we mentioned previously, uh, just like the first time I went to the casino, you know, I, I turned £100 into £700. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a great outcome, but it's a poor process. Yeah, I yeah. think people, they they fail to um, differentiate between those things in yeah. stocks. They put 10000 into a stock and it doubles, and they think, well, that's a brilliant result. Yep. If you're actually trying to manage your money without some kind of a systematic approach, sooner or later it blows up. And yeah, I think yeah. um, this is where having the right process is important because it will ensure that you're around in 10 years, in 20 years, in yep. 30 years. And as the 
the Kelly model always points you towards is that well, there will always be better opportunities in the future. Yeah, so yeah. you want to have some cash. cash. For that. Yeah, that's it. And I think this is the downside of people saying you need to be 100% invested at all times. Yeah. Because when the big opportunities come around, you miss all of those. You know, yep. the, the hardest thing, as you know, in a 2009 or a tech wreck scenario is actually deciding what to buy. Yeah, yeah, because everything, everything's on sale. Yeah. And uh, when you get to our stage in life, you only need one of these big corrections and that yeah. can set you up for life. So I'm sort of say I my motto is you only need one good recession. Yeah. You know, and you really do because if you buy really cheap, the investment compounds at a really high rate because you bought it cheap. You can have great companies and Ben Graham said this, you know, he said, Well, you can buy great companies, but they can still not deliver a great return, even though a great company. Why? Because you pay too much for it, right? And that's the idea of investing. You'll, what you want to do is look for what they call is a mispricing, right? Here's a dollar coin. You can have it for 50 cents. Righto, how many of those can I get a hold of, mm. right? Because you know even if you're wrong and it's worth 90 cents, you're still going to make money. But if I come to you and say, like a lot of growth stocks, here's a dollar, but listen, mate, it's going to be worth, you know, $1.30 and then $1.70 and then $3.60, blah, blah, blah. And you think, wow, I'm getting this so cheap. But then the growth wagon stops or, you know, the market crashes or whatever. Your dollar turns out to be worth 85 cents. Hmm. Yeah, there was an old Ben Graham quote, wasn't it? The stock market in the short run is just a simply a voting machine, yep. a popularity contest. contest. Yeah. This is what we saw in 2019. Yep. Uh, it wasn't, it was, there was cryptocurrencies, but then there was Tesla, WeWork, Beyond Meat. <laughs> and it was, money was just finding places to go and... In the short run, that's what the market does. It's just money flows into whatever's popular. Yep. But if you're planning on being around through the cycles, you'll find that in the long run, at some point in the cycle, the switch gets flicked and then people start thinking a little bit more rationally about yep. what companies are actually worth. And that's when, when the tide goes out yep. and when people have overpaid for those speculative uh, stocks, they, they get found out. So I guess um, what we've been talking about today is partly uh, the risk hierarchy. So individual companies... You can invest in, but you don't have to be a stock picker these days. Yeah, yeah. And as we say, it's not that hard these days. You know, people overcomplicate investing sometimes. It's just about having a systematic approach. When ETFs are cheap in countries, out of favour sectors, you can have some money in there. But you really want to be cognizant of the overall market, particularly yeah, in the, the US. the environment, yep. If the US is very expensive, you don't want to be fully invested. You need cash uh, for future opportunities. And what we'll talk about in uh, the next episode is managing exposure through the cycle and asset allocation and also diversification, as we already mentioned in this episode. You don't want to bet the house on any individual investment because there could always be black swan events. Cheers. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. 
Cheers.